We're currently in a series in the book of Ephesians. Many of you are familiar with this wonderful book, and uh, we're coming close to the end. We're talking about the armor of God. This are, these are these six pieces of armor, and most of you are familiar with the armor of God. If you've been around the church any length of time at all, uh, you know about the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, the shoes or the boots uh, your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And this morning we're going to look uh, at the shield, uh, the shield of faith. In Ephesians uh, chapter 6, uh, and you have in your bulletin insert a copy of these scriptures we're going to be reading in a moment. Uh, and I invite you to take those out if you don't have your Bible with you. If you do, you can go ahead and turn uh, to the reference. Um, but we, we've been looking at these, these items of armor. And uh, the, the thesis or the premise that I've been going on is that Paul, while yes indeed he, he did have the image of a Roman soldier and Roman soldiery there around him in his world, that was not the primary source for which he was uh, giving us the example and description of this armor. Paul was a rabbi and he was steeped in the scriptures of the Old Testament. And every single piece of this armor is uh, recorded multiple times in the imagery, the rich tapestry of the Old Testament. And so what I've suggested, and I'm not making this up, I mean you can read the best scholars, uh, which is the only ones that I ever look at, by the way. You all know that, right? I only look at the best. No, the very best scholarship has said, yes, Paul is making references to armor that Roman soldiers would indeed have worn, but where he's really getting his sources from is the Old Testament and the armor that was worn by the divine king, the great warrior king, this image that we have in the Old Testament, just amazingly rich, and it's his armor that Paul is describing, he's saying this armor that God himself wears when he enters into battle for you on your behalf is the very armor that he has now handed over to his people and said, put on this armor. It will protect you. It will give you the, the, the equipment you need to face uh, the problems in this world. So let's look at our scriptures. Take out your little... Uh, insert if you need it, or you can, uh, probably better to use the insert because we're going to read from several different uh, passages, uh, the first one being Ephesians uh, 6. Let's look at that. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. Oh Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O oh Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. The Lord is my strength. And my shield, in Him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song 
I give thanks to Him. You are my hiding place and my shield. I hope in Your Word. After these things, the Word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram. I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. This is the Word of the Lord. Whenever you talk about faith, Faith is one of those things that um, uh, people just, uh, everybody has an opinion about faith. And uh, I'm going to say a few things, first of all, preliminary, just so that you all know. Every human being has faith. Everyone does. So the the old saying, uh, seeing is believing, I'm only going to believe in what I see, uh, that is, is a, a false uh, premise. Everyone has faith, and every human being, regardless of their religious background, everyone believes in things they cannot see. Yes? You all agree? How many of you have seen George Washington except on a dollar bill? No one has. How do you know George Washington even existed? No one knows. How many of you have seen in person President Obama? Okay, there's one person, two, two people. Okay, so the rest of you, for all you know, President Obama is a Photoshop. You have no, there's no, except for, now we could take Sarah and and Ashley's word, they could tell us, I've seen him, I know he's real, but how do we really know it's him? It could be somebody made up to look like him. It could be like Sesame Street, you know, a puppet. Look, we all believe in things we cannot see. So this idea, you know, I don't believe in it. I've got to see it in order to believe it. That is a false premise. And so we don't need to really entertain. When people say, no, you've got to show me. I've got to see it. We, we can just ask them about ten questions and have them totally discombobulated when it comes to that. We believe, all of you believe you have a mind. Yes? But nobody's ever seen your mind. Well, some people have less mind than other people. But anyway, the the idea is we don't see those things. None of you have seen through the eye your own eye. Faith is something everyone has. But when we move faith into the religious realm it becomes totally subjective and people start talking very straight. Well, you believe what you believe. I want to believe what I believe. And my belief is this and your belief is that. And everybody's entitled to their own beliefs and on and on and on. You've all heard that, yes? It just never ends. It becomes, faith becomes completely subjective and relativistic. Now when I talk about subjective and relative, in other words, what I'm saying is that faith is something inside of you and that you exercise that faith or you, you extend that faith. And I don't know, I've been in, I've been in Christian, uh, Christian all my life generally from the time I was a child until, until now as far as I know. And uh, I'm a Christian and I have believed in God and all of that good stuff. Faith is something that everyone has, and yet when it comes to religion, it becomes very subjective and relativistic. And we want to 
kind of approach faith like faith is a thing and therefore you as a human being are going to give substance to your faith. So if you believe hard enough or strong enough in something, that something will actually take on substance. And so the, the, the history of the Bible is replete with examples of people placing faith in things which what? Are untrustworthy. Yes? And what do we call those things? What's a name for that that we talk about all the time here at Christ the King? It's an idol. And the Old Testament prophets were unbelievably harsh and, and mocking and sarcastic when it came uh, to... Uh, the idolatry or this subjective idea that you, by your faith, the force of faith within you, could give substance to something. Most famously, Isaiah chapter 44. Isaiah said the craftsman, the worker in iron, goes out and he finds a tree and he cuts it down and he brings it home. And with his tools, he carves that tree. He takes pieces and chunks of that tree and he makes a fire to warm himself. He takes pieces of that tree and he puts it in his stove so that he can cook his food. And then with the rest of it, with the remainder, he sits there and very carefully with his compass and his carving tools, he makes a god. And Isaiah using mocking language, he said, don't you see, don't you understand? You've warmed yourself with part of this, you've cooked your meal, your meat over part of it, and with part of it you made a God and you fall down, and then he asks the question, the rhetorical question, are you going to worship a block of wood? It has eyes, but it can't see. It has ears, but it can't hear. It has arms, but it can't reach out and save you. Are you crazy? And we do this so often in religion. But every religion does this, folks. It puts faith in faith. Are you following me? We give faith substance. The Bible. And the Bible sometimes actually is not helpful. Let me give you some examples. And then I will try to give you a, 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 a better way to look at it. I hope it's a better way. And it will help you and maybe take some of the burden off. Look, the Bible has many examples where it seems to say that faith is something you have that you must exercise. And some people have lots of it. Some people have very little of it. And some people need more. Some people have less. Listen to these passages. And I only picked out a few. Some blind men came to Jesus. And Jesus, they, they were crying out to Jesus, please uh, heal our blindness. And so Jesus invites them into his house and he says this. Listen, folks, he says, do you believe that I am able to do this? And the blind men say, yes, Lord. And Jesus says this, listen, according to your faith, yes, be it unto you. Another example, a centurion. This is a, a commander of a group of, of soldiers, a hundred soldiers. Centurions were uh, the heart and soul of the Roman army. They were like kind of like the sergeant majors, I guess. I don't know. You military guys can correct me. The, they, they, were, they were the guys that ran the army. And they had these cohorts of a hundred men. Centurions were very powerful, very authoritative. When they spoke, everybody jumped. At least the hundred that were with them jumped. 
And, and so this centurion had a servant that's sick, and he sends a messenger to Jesus, and he tells Jesus, I know that you're a great man. You're a man who knows what authority is, and so I need you to heal my servant. So at your word, I want you to heal my servant. And Jesus marveled at this man, and he said, I haven't seen this kind of faith in all of Israel. And this is a Gentile, a centurion, a Roman. And Jesus sends a message back and he says this, let it be done to you or for you as you have believed. The Syrophoenician woman, this woman was not a Jew. She was, in fact, she was a foreigner and she was of a race of people that the Jews had nothing to do with. She comes begging Jesus to heal her demoniac possessed daughter. And Jesus tells her this. He says, you know, the food uh, is for the children. It's not for the dogs. Yikes, that's another whole talk. And the woman says this to Jesus, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And he says, Woman, you have great faith. Go, let it be done to you as as you desire. Now, I could read more of these. All of these scriptures, folks, honestly, they are unhelpful because they seem to intimate that each one of these people had within them this amazing uh, reservoir of faith. Doesn't it sound like that when you read these stories? You think, oh gosh, if I could have faith, if I could just believe like this. But what I want to ask you to do, please, let's just for a second, forget all the stuff you've heard, especially from these crazy people on TV. Yeah, amen, right, Scott? Get, forget what these people say. Faith is a force. Words are the containers of the force. And so you can speak into existence and you, know, and, and you need more faith and faith and faith. You know. Back up for a minute. I'm begging you. And look at each one of these stories again with fresh eyes. And what you will see is depending on how you read those stories and where you accent the story, you will see that in each case, it was not their faith. Listen to me, I'm begging you. It was not their faith that was so great. What was it? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Listen, on every corner in Palestine, there was a magic worker, a a miracle worker. There were prophets all over the place. Everybody could work a miracle. You could pay money and go find somebody. They'd work a miracle for you, whether or not it was real, we don't know. But there were magicians everywhere. Jesus was different. He would go and he would say things like, do you believe I am able to do this? What did the centurion say? He says, you, you are a man with authority. I know what authority means. When I speak, people move, people jump. I'm a man under authority. Therefore, you speak and it will be done. Where? There's the object. You speak and it will be done. The Syrophoenician, you're the master of the table, of course. I don't, I'm not going to argue with you about that, Jesus. I am nothing. I'm a dog under your table. But at least... A crumb, because a crumb from you will heal my daughter. Do you see it, folks? It's not about how great their faith is. It's about what? What? How great He is. 
who he is, they could have gone to the block of wood and with all the sincerity and strength and heart and, and fervency and tears, they could have prayed to that block of wood and the block of wood could not have healed that little girl, yes? You cannot give strength and substance to your faith. It's the object of your faith that gives your faith any meaning. Are you with me? Do you see the difference? This is a fundamental difference between authentic, real, historic Christianity and everything else and sadly, much of the Christianity we see in our world today. Faith is not a force that you have and that you've got to like build up like a muscle. You go to the gym, you work out, you strengthen your faith. Faith. What is it? Remember our outline? What is it? Why do we need it? How did Paul see it? What is it? Folks, faith is not a thing. Are you with me? What is it? It's a person. Faith is a person. And your faith, your belief, your trust is only as good as that person. Let me give you a quick example. You all remember D. James Kennedy? Remember, any of you see his, his illustration with a chair? I know I'm getting wild this morning for a Presbyterian church. I'm actually out here with a chair in my hand. Pretty crazy, right? Have, you, have any of you seen Dr. Kennedy's illustration? No? Okay. The Reformers said there's three parts of faith. You all know what they are. Herman will know. David will know. Ugo will know. A few of you. What are the three parts? You guys remember? Okay, never mind. I'll give them to you. Notitia, ascensus, fiducia. Information, assent, and faith. All right, here we go. Quick, let's do it quick. This is a chair. If any of you disagree, please raise your hand. Chair, it's made of plastic, hard, we don't like them. The kind of shape to fit your behind, but eh, not so great. Back there is a better chair. Anyway, this is a chair. Look at the metal. Isn't that strong? Look at that. And it's got screws on the bottom. It's really tough. It will give you a lot of information. It will hold the right shape, the right size to fit the bottom, blah, 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 blah. Everybody agree? Now, here it is. Do you all see the chair? Do you all believe in the chair? Anybody that doesn't believe in the chair, I want you to see me after church. Everybody believes, Yes? Do everybody, now, who believes this chair will hold up your pastor? Don't mention my weight, just answer the question. Do you believe this chair will hold up my, my weight? Do you assent? Do you agree? Okay, everybody agrees. The last part is fiducia, it's faith. Because until I put my bottom in this chair, watch, and actually rest all my weight upon it, I cannot be saved from hitting the floor. Do you see? That was Dr. Kennedy's beautiful explanation that he used in so many places in evangelism explosion. You can, you can actually receive information. You can be in church all your life and believe all kinds of stuff about Jesus. You can assent that Jesus is Lord and you can go on and on about how great He is and you can learn doctrines and propositions. I went to school and learned them. And you can put all kinds of confidence in those, pro in those propositions and those truths and those doctrines, but those doctrines can't climb a cross and die for you. 
Only a man can climb that cross and die for you. And only when you put your full weight, the weight of your very life on Him, does your faith amount to anything. Yes? Amen? Somebody please. I want to make sure you're with me. Listen. Your faith is nothing unless it's in the object who has the power and the strength and the love and the faithfulness to take you and hold you up. That's what it is. We don't give substance to our faith. Our our Savior Jesus gives our faith its substance. And that is fundamentally different from everything that you probably have ever uh, heard. Why... Um, well, let me read you this. I, I, I can't pass this up. Please listen. It's a little bit long, but it's a, a, an excerpt from a chapter by A.W. Tozer in The Pursuit of God. And I recommend all of you read this book. I've read it several times. It's, it's amazing. But listen, bear with me. Put your thinking cap on. Think what Tozer's saying here about faith. Listen. Believing then is directing the heart's attention to Jesus. It is lifting the mind to behold the Lamb of God and never ceasing that beholding for the rest of our lives. Now listen, at first this may be difficult. It is difficult. At first it may be difficult. But it becomes easier as we look steadily at His wondrous person. Distractions may hinder, and they do. Listen, distractions may hinder, but once the heart is committed to Him, after each brief excursion from Him, the attention will return again and rest upon Him like a wandering bird coming back to its window. Have you ever felt like that, folks? Have you ever been crushed by doubt and fear and you just don't know if you can believe anymore? And the distractions become so great and so fearsome that, you, that you've wandered away. But something keeps drawing you back and when you come back, there you find Him again. Do you see what Tozer is saying? Listen, God takes the heart's intention to gaze forever upon Jesus and makes, don't you love God? Listen, makes what allowances He must for the thousands of distractions which beset us in this evil world, the fiery darts. Faith, now listen, I love this part. Faith is the least regarding of the virtues. It is by very nature scarcely conscience, conscious of its own existence like the eye which sees everything in front of it but never sees itself. Faith is occupied with the object upon which it rests and pays no attention to itself at all. While we are looking at God we do not see ourselves. Blessed riddance, Tozer says. Thank God we're not looking at ourselves because if you're like me, you're frail, you're scared, you're full of doubt and fear. I don't know about you folks, but I go through every day with my own set of doubts, my own set of fear, my own weaknesses that you know nothing about. 
I know I'm your pastor. I'm supposed to be the professional holy person and not have any doubts. But I have them like you do. And perhaps more. Because I know more than you. (laughs) Tozer said, blessed riddance. I'm not looking at myself. I'm looking at him. Blessed riddance. I love that. And finally he says this. Listen, folks. The man who has struggled to purify himself The man who has struggled to purify himself and has nothing but repeated failures will experience real relief when he stops tinkering with his soul and looks away to the perfect one. That, my dear friends, that is true faith. Quit tinkering with your soul. Quit trying to have more faith and get your eyes on Jesus Christ, the faithful one, the one who's better than the chair, the one who will hold you up not only in this life, but in the life to come. Yes, He is the object of and He pours. So the tiniest bit, uh, uh, Horatius Bonar said, the, the least amount of faith, the worst, the, the, the junky faith, the faith that's poor, the faith that's mixed with doubt, the faith that's a mess, the littlest, tiniest little piece of faith, put it in Jesus, it becomes great faith. That's what He was talking about. You have great faith, woman. Why? He put, she put it in Him, the Master of the table. What an amazing thing. The shield of faith, folks, quickly. What is it? It's not a thing. It's a person. Write it down somewhere. Scribe it in your heart. Faith is not something. It is someone. And the shield of faith. Look, you all have seen the pictures of the scutum, the the great shield, the Roman shield that's the size of a door. Yes, it's curved and it's like this. and And they would make a wall out of it. What was wrong with that shield? There's no back to that shield. But what does the Scripture say to you folks? Thou, O Lord, are a shield, what? About me. My glory, the lifter of my head. Do you see? He's not just a shield in front. He's a shield on top and below and around and behind. He is the shield of faith. And with it, you will quench all the fiery darts. Why do we need it? The fiery darts. Very quickly, we've got to hurry. There's two kinds, I think, and, and I mentioned this last week, and I'll just mention it quickly, and hopefully if you have questions, we, we can talk about it. There are external fiery darts. You know, the fiery dart is the arrow. You know, they dipped it in pitch. This is real. They dipped it in pitch, lit it on fire. You've all seen the movies, and they shoot it in the air, and, you know, they all come down with, in fire. Everything in that day was made of wood or some material that would burn, so fire was a powerful weapon. And those firing, they're not just regular darts, they're fiery darts, powerful darts. And they're external darts. You know, we get attacked from the outside. People will attack you, they will slander you, they will accuse you, they will belittle you, they will will use you badly. And these enemies often are satanic, demonic spirits who are working through human beings. And so I warned you weeks ago, be careful because all of us have a tendency to vibrate with those evil forces. 
You know, the idea comes in your mind, you know, I could have done better. My wife, she's not the greatest thing in the world. You know, I could have done better. My husband, he's such a dolt. I could have done so much better. You know, these whispers come in. You start vibrating with that. And after a while, you think, ah, you know, he's really not that good. I ought to start looking around for somebody else. Or look at my friends across the street. They've got so much money and they're doing so well and they always seem so happy and their kids are doing good in school. What's wrong with me? And So you start vibrating with those voices and before too long, doubt and fear and envy and jealousy, these things have set in. Those are external or temptations. You know, you're clicking away on the internet and all of a sudden some picture pops up and you go, hey, wow, that's pretty cute. You pop on it and the next thing you know, you're popping on the net and the next thing you know, you're in some place you can't even shut it off. Right? Crazy stuff. Temptations, accusations, slander. But then there's those internal ones. And these are the ones, folks, these fiery darts are so hard to deal with. Self-loathing, self-hate, doubt. You know, I go to church, I listen to him, I'm just not sure, I don't know. Or you wake up in the morning and you're afraid, or you go to the doctor and the doctor comes out and says you're going to die. Or your wife or husband, I don't love you anymore. Or your boss says you're fired. Whatever the case is, fears and doubt, these internal struggles that we have, and I don't know anybody that doesn't have them. We all struggle with those things. And then there's self-righteousness. I'm better than the next one. Look at how good I'm doing. I mean, look, I'm all squared away. I've got it all going on. My business is doing well. My life's in order. I'm actually pretty good. I'm actually better than most people. I thank God I'm not like this other guy. And you heard that before. (laughs) Who doesn't do that, right? I mean, there's this internal, these fiery darts that are constantly coming at us from the inside. And we're going, what's going on with all that? Jealousy. Cynicism. Oh, look at how bad, look at, look at what's going on in the world today. Look at what's going on in the world today. The gospel says, don't look around at how bad the world is. Look at who came into the world. Look who came into the world. Can you put that on your lips? Instead of all this carping and whining about Supreme Courts and politicians and all the rest of it, do you think this time of history is unique? No. History is constantly repeating itself with injustice and hatred and violence and depravity of every kind no matter where you live. Yes? No matter what age you live in. So don't think the New Testament writers were like you know, living in Disneyland, they lived in a terrible world. And this world is like that world. And we're not to be saying, oh, what's happening to the world? Look who's coming to the world. And then face those evils with the Word of God, the shield, folks, of faith. So there's internal, external, and uh, we can't talk. So how did Paul... See this. Let me finish with this. Look back at all of those Old Testament, and these are just a few. There were dozens of these. What is the common denominator of every single one? It is simply this You, O Lord, are a shield to me, the Lord is my strength. 
and my shield. You are my hiding place and my shield. And God comes to Abram in chapter chapter 15 and He tells Abram, I am your shield and your exceeding great reward. Or your reward will be very great. How? How is Jesus Christ a shield to you? On the cross, Jesus the man Jesus Christ, who I'm saying is your shield, lived a perfect life, perfect faith. Not like mine, not like yours. It's kind of on one day, off the other day. No, he lived a perfect life with perfect faith. And he went to the cross and willingly, out of love for you and love for me, he took the shield and he laid it down and he invited the fiery darts of the enemy to assault him in every part of his being. And not only the fiery darts of the enemy, but the very wrath of God fell into the heart of that man. No shield. No protection. He was literally stripped naked with nothing to cover him. And he was left exposed on a cross to the fiery darts of Satan, to every kind of doubt and sin and horror that you and I could possibly imagine. And on top of all that, he cried out in his agony, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why? He quoted Psalm 22, the first verses of Psalm 22. Why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me? Why so far, so far from the words of my groaning? And then Psalm 22 goes on to describe in in agonizing detail the horrors of what he experienced on the cross. A man who for you and as you laid down his shield and took the fiery darts. But do you want to know how Psalm 22 ends? Do you want to see your shield? Here's how it ends. Listen. God has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. God has not hidden His face from me. He has heard me when I cried to Him. You see, Jesus' prayer was answered. He was raised from the dead. Why, folks? Why then? This is why. He's able to come to you and I and say these words with all boldness. Take away all the fear, all the doubt. This is what He says to you. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be with you always to the end of the age. That is your shield of faith. With no condition on our part, I will never leave you. I will never leave. I'm with you always to the end of the age. 
Will you trust him? I beg you. Will you trust him? If you haven't done it, do it today. If you have, put your trust in him again. Throw your doubts to the side. And for, for goodness sakes, do not fear. Do not be afraid. I don't care what's going on in the federal government. I don't care what's going on in the world. Don't be afraid. We don't have to bury our heads in the sand and be naive. We have an object of our faith. We can cast our eyes upon Jesus Christ. Yes. Will you do it? Will you trust him? Days are going to get rough. Very rough. We need the shield of faith. Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you. Uh, this is a rough world we live in. Things are kind of spinning, it looks like, out of control. And we wonder uh, who's uh, at, at the helm. And we, Father, are scared. I, I confess, I'm afraid. I'm afraid of lots of things. I'm afraid for our nation. I'm afraid for our church. I'm afraid for the church in the United States who is so greedy and all they can talk about is health, wealth, and prosperity and how God's going to give you anything you ask for as if, as if Jesus Christ did not ask to be delivered and was told no so that we would never have to have our heart's affection set on the things of this world. Please, Father, I pray for His sake and for our sake that you will create in Christ the King a people whose eyes are fixed on you in ways that will marvel, marvel the city around us. That they'll look at this little band of desperados here at Christ the King and they will say, wow, those people are different. And I pray that people will see the difference because you have invaded our lives. Please, we're asking you to do it. In the name of your Son, and by the power, we pray, of your Holy Spirit, please. Amen.